Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. The Square Ball Podcast. The show is brought to you by Levi Solicitors. You can get 10% off your legal fees at levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. I'm Dan Moylan. Hello. Michael's here as well. Hello. So is Moscow White. Daniel Chapman. Hello. This is Propaganda then, the show where we find out what's been said about Leeds United by you and by opposition fans as well. We'll get to all that because we're now, what, 72 hours, not even 72 hours on from the announcement of the Super League and it has collapsed. We did our initial reaction to it on the match ball. I think I'd reached a place of quiet zen I think believing that it was probably going to collapse, I didn't expect it to collapse as fast as it did. Moscow, you were quite confident that it was a whole pile of shit. You're putting me in the position where I have to say I was right, and I never like doing that. Yeah, yes, you, you do. do. <laughs> Only privately. <laughs> Giving you all hell for stealing my ideas. Yeah, and I've, I finally looked up Ed Woodward's wage compared to Harry Maguire's Ed Woodward earns £3.09 million a year, according to Google. Harry Maguire earns £9.87 million. So he's paying Harry Maguire more than three times as much as himself. And from the reports going around Old Trafford and coming out the place, Harry Maguire is one of the people who wasn't told about this. And then when he did find out about it as captain, went into Ed Woodward's office and which one of them still has a job at the end of the season. And um, I think that's one kind of microcosmic example of just how fucking stupid the people running this have been. We'll get into the nuts and bolts of it on the main show that's following this one, but just sort of generally, what's your mood on it now? Do you think it's funny? You relieved? I am relieved. I think it did, it properly knocked me, I think, when it it was announced, because I think it was a I think I felt an odd sort of sense of loss and and almost a mourning for it of the, the game that I wanted and I thought we'd won a right to play again against teams I hate for example like I was I've wanted to play Liverpool at Ellen Road for years when we've been stuck in the bloody championship and then it came around and it just felt like oh you've ruined it now thanks for that I've been, I've been waiting ages for this and now and now it's this it's like when you have a, an argument with your wife before you go out for something to eat <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like it was a ruined birthday that is dre- what I'm saying. dreadful awkward silence over the table when the waiter's coming I mean it's bad enough that we weren't able to actually be in there to watch it was which is obviously completely out of our control but the fact that it was all about that and that we I essentially watched what was I think quite a good Liverpool against Leeds game and a very good second half performance from us and I didn't really feel much from it. I feel that it robbed me of that, if nothing else, for for the week. But it was more the it was more the thought that that is what has happened now, and this is what it's going to be going forward. Is that it's going to be we're not going to play Liverpool anymore. We're not going to play Arsenal. It's going to be you know Leicester might be our biggest game, and we can never play them because we can never be in their club. And it was it was depressing. I've got to be but, honest. But that was equally why it was it was ludicrous, I guess. But I'm sure that's how you felt about it, Moscow. Never in doubt. I think now is feeling that it would be quite funny if we didn't have to play Liverpool and Scorm and Spurs and Arsenal next season because they've all had points, deductions and relegations as punishment for this. That's kind of gone from that uh, maybe, I think I'm less sort of morose about it than, than Michael of the idea of, you know, not being allowed to play Liverpool anymore. There is part of me that just says, fuck them if you want your own league, fuck off. And that has now turned in me to, uh, well, okay, well, what are we going to do with them? Where are the punishments? What's going to come from all this? We got fined. £200,000 for breaking a rule about spirit didn't even exist. We got 15 points and all that kind of stuff for 
that the fans did nothing to earn. So this argument about, you know, we can't punish the fans. I saw some bizarre comments about how Leeds couldn't say anything about other clubs' debts because of what Peter Ridsdale had done at the start of the century. We paid 16 years for what Peter Ridsdale did. We had to go down to League One, which is all the exact things that these clubs have tried to insulate themselves against. You know, if they're in the Super League, they can never do a Ridsdale. So 16 years outside the the Premier League for Liverpool seems to be actually quite a fair <laughs> punishment. So I'm waiting to see what will, will come of all that and, and wondering, I know just before we started recording this, um, Andrea Ragnelli has said that he, oh, okay, it's not going to work with just six teams. Um, <laughs> but he's still, and we'll cover it in the, the, the main podcast, how much this is going to be let go remains to be seen. I mean, it is, you know, it's but you're feeling vindictive, you're feeling. Yeah. Good. Right. Um, <laughs> what have you been saying about it then? We uh, sent out a feedback form to our TSB Plus subscribers and they ping a message back in reply telling us what we got right, wrong, and what we should have talked about on the match ball. I think um, broadly in agreement about the circumstances in general. That was one of the main um, the main talking points. People annoyed that it was all Super League chat that um, dominated the run-up to the game. Yeah, John Grumpy Bastard crossed them was probably the harshest on this. Said the actual game might have been a start. <laughs> Fuck the Super League. Th- things we should have talked about is the, <laughs> is the question posed there. And, th- and that is a fair point. But it was all that we were thinking about. And we'll, I mean, we'll get on to the the Liverpool reactions to this in a bit, but it was very much the same from their side of it as well. It was the game was a, a sideshow on this on this particular evening. But we'll try and talk about it now anyway, because some good things did happen. I enjoyed Elliot's comment actually. He said Leeds and only bloody Leeds. Forget the Super League. They can all fuck off to St. Helens and roll about in the mud. It was a strange night. Jurgen Klopp apparently said some things about the match, but I've got no idea what they were. Everything did just get lost behind Super League and we didn't do anything to I mean the second half of the podcast talked about the game we did yeah. we did get to it but for about five minutes and then it was back to sort of what Klopp had said about Neville after the game and all that kind of stuff so um, but it was difficult to to see through to the match I think Dave captured it well as well saying that it was sad that none of the players seemed to really enjoy what was an amazing result because it was you can't get points against Liverpool that's the whole point of the, the Super League isn't it these teams are so much better than us and we did we've beaten them once We've drawn with them. It's been a good season. Chris Gibney did point out that his favourite bit was hearing one of the Leeds coaches complaining that Liverpool were taking too long with the throw-in during added time and that it was Leeds annoyed about Liverpool's time-wasting. That shows how far we've come. And we did get much better than them in the, the second half. I wonder if some of the frustration from, I mean, I suppose maybe Bamford, I don't know what his, his feelings were when he was called over, you're going to do the post-match interview because it must have been, you know, nobody will have wanted to do the post-match interviews in these circumstances. But also feeling that they should have won because I mean Bamford hit the bar Harrison had a really good chance to win it Roberts had a really good chance to win it so the three of them will probably be walking off the pitch thinking "Ah, fuck we should have beaten Liverpool again Chris did point out that we are still unbeaten at home against the super wankers as he put it that's definitely worth a mention no wonder they want out but there's so much truth actually in that and we're safe from relegation yeah that happened as well I always imagined because we didn't get the promotion party I had in the back of my mind all season that when we were safe, open a bottle of champagne and go and throw it at a, a bus if I could find one. And like an open top bus, not just any. I'd go to a vintage bus park <laughs> and vandalise it. In this imagined future of yours. Um, but it all just kind of passed with barely a murmur, I suppose, because it's kind of been, we've known we're not going to get relegated for a while but then it all just got overtaken by the, the Super League stuff. And uh, coming from behind to draw against Liverpool to secure our second season in the Premier League is quite a big story and just kind of, yeah, another thing that uh, Liverpool ruined for us. To matters on the pitch then, and quite a few different talking points were sent in about you know players and so on and so forth. Which do you want to deal with first? And let's let's talk about the nice battle that happened in midfield, the, the Milner versus Calvin. There was that challenge that went on and it was just beautiful Leads on leads, but in a nice way. I mean, Calvin pulled out of it and got booked, which was pretty unfair. But he pulled out and Milner also didn't make a fuss about it because he did still catch him a little bit. And there was a nice little bit of thinking, well done, James. I feel like Grealish or Bruno Fernandes would still be now writhing around on the LRO pitch from 
having the outside of Calvin Phillips's boot it was like, slightly. It was like going back in time, wasn't it? Just having a little time travel trip backwards to remember when you used to be able to like kick somebody else and both walk away from it laughing. Should we have Milner back next season? Have we got a role for him? How old is he now? 35, 36. But I mean, he's been that old since he was 16, hasn't he? He was, <laughs> yeah. he was never young. Well, we need a, an ageing talisman if Pablo's going to go, don't we? So, Will Milner's wild lifestyle have caught up with him, though, in his mid-30s? That's true. And can we trust him in the wild uh, horse for th- frontier land, isn't it, up there? Well, he's never left. He's always at his, his home, so he, he it's just a shorter commute for him. I did look at him in the second half when we were putting pressure on Liverpool and their head seemed to be dropping. Uh, we had a corner, not the one we scored from, I don't think, but he was... Um, standing in the six-yard box, yelling at all his players. And I did think we needed that in the first half because um, without Liam Cooper, Luke Ayling's a good standing captain. But then looking around the pitch, I suppose Dallas takes responsibility as well. There was quite a quiet bunch from us in this match. And you just get a bit of the Milner stuff. Obviously, Melier (laughs) doesn't, uh, doesn't get included in the quiet argument. But yeah, there was, if we could just have him maybe at the side of the pitch, shouting. It was Mikey and Liam who flagged up Milner versus uh, Calvin. Thanks for getting in touch about that. Um, speaking of Pablo, uh, Medi and Gav and Chris all flagged up Pablo's appearance and the sort of quiet tragedy involved in in only a five-minute outing in which he didn't really make any impact. And Gav did question, is that all we're going to see from him now? He's being used a little bit like Stan Lee in Marvel films, uh, a quick cameo to raise a cheer, but is, is that it now? Chris as well saying that, is it, is it too much to hope for to have one last piece of Pablo magic? My football heart needs it. And I think we all... It'll bookend, it'd bookend it, wouldn't it? It really would. If he could just... I don't know, maybe Man United's his game. If he, he needs a goal, doesn't he, this season? Even if it's West Brom on the final day and it, hopefully he starts that or something, you know, something like that, just something. And then leaves the stadium and gets straight into his car after scoring. Waves goodbye to everyone. Helicopter on the pitch like Kevin Keegan when he left Newcastle. Let's, do it. Yep. Let's do it properly. Yeah, winch him up. I said, don't even land it. <laughs> Straight off the pitch. Oh no, the rope broke. Oh no. Oh God. Oh, thank you. Thank you for your contributions, Pablo. Uh, we've killed Pablo. Oh no. What have we done? Do we think Pablo or Tyler Roberts is more likely to ever score? Tyler's just got no luck. And I suppose you make your own luck and the uh you know, we have to microanalyze every breath he takes on the football pitch from from now until forever. He, he's not allowed to have an average game without hundreds of people jumping on his back to say he'll never be good enough and should go to the championship immediately. Well, this is this is one of those discuss points. Joe says, I know you like to support Tyler Roberts. I think he's directing that specifically at you, Moscow, but he just isn't good enough. Discuss. I think I think Lewis's comment is probably fair on it. it. says, what can you say? Has he been unlucky? Has he been bad? Has he been good? Probably a combination of all three. Yeah. And who was? I mean, in the first half, nobody was good. In the second half, we got better and Tyler Roberts was involved in us getting better. He set up the chance that Harrison missed before Perveda set up the one that Roberts missed. And, you know, Harrison's miss was not much better than Roberts' miss, so do we say he's you know not good enough bombing out? And Liverpool for kind of gets forgotten because of the relatively poor season they've had. What they were doing in the first half is all the things they are very good at and that Jurgen Klopp essentially made them and Dortmund before them the best at, which was pressing us, not giving us any room to play and I you know I fully agree that Tyler Roberts is not good enough as it stands to overcome Liverpool's pressing at its best on his own and without a Rodrigo on the pitch without a, a Rafinha on the pitch we were looking at Tyler Roberts to say can you unlock Liverpool's defence in the first half no in the second half bit better but the argument is never is he good enough to start every single week against prospective Super League teams, the argument is always, should we give him another contract for another couple of years and see how he gets on? And the comparison, I can't remember where I saw it, but somebody compared him to Rian Brewster, who cost untold millions that has contributed to relegating Sheffield United. And it's kind of, that's the the spin the beer map kind of risk in all this is he's a known quantity. We know what he's like. He might get better. He might get worse. Do we want to spend 23 million on a player who would essentially be exactly the same? I'd suggest we don't sign Ryan Brewster, of course. Yeah, you, you recruit differently, don't but you? But yeah, yeah. He, we own him now, don't we? Yeah, because yeah. so. you can get a Rafinha for 17 million rather than a Ryan Brewster for 23. So, But yeah, Tyler Roberts, is a he's a known option and he's free, yeah. isn't he? I think maybe we 
we and he is just going to have to accept the fact that if he stays, he's going to fall down the pecking order again next year um, and he's going to have to fight for his place. Whether they want him in the squad like that, whether they think he'd be happy is a different matter. That's for, that's for them to discuss, isn't it? It depends, but, again, what the priorities are and what the budget is. If it comes down to spending £15 million on a Tyler Roberts replacement or £15 million on a left-back and we only have one £15 million, spend it on a left-back because that's mm. urgent. If Roberts is still here next season... It's fine. I just find it weird that it's every game has this ultimate sell judgment instead of just he was all right in this one, he was good in that one, not so good in that one. He wasn't very good against Man City. He couldn't get the, the measure of that and then had to be taken off as part of the second half turnaround. In his yeah. defence as well, he is still relatively new to the position he's being asked to play because yeah. we signed him as a striker and I, I'm assuming he played his youth football as a striker. And well, even at Warsaw, he was a, a number nine. They were using him as a target man. It's interesting what Bielsa's doing with um, with Joffrey Gelhart and Sam Greenwood in alternating their positions between the 9 and the 10 in the under-23s to teach them both roles. And that's it. It could be that, I know there's, there's a lot of, um, I think part of the, the get rid of Roberts thing is get Gelhart and Greenwood in the team, but they're both still very young. So if it's another couple of years of Roberts, while they're getting better in the under-23s, maybe one of them needs a loan next season to get you know, it depends what the, the plans are for them. But also likes to keep the players close. But if it's just a matter of keeping the keeping the seat warm until one or both of those two is ready to come through, unless they're the new Forrester and Whelan of twenty twenty one, and and nothing occurs, I don't know. I, it doesn't seem like a a massive pressing priority to me. The future of Tyler Roberts that he has to be condemned. Um, at the end of every match, which will, is how it often feels. Will you condemn Helder Costa? Well, I was going to say before I moved <laughs> well, on to that, he's he's the next one, isn't he? In line before I moved on to that, to that, that, like every sort of criticism you can lay at Tyler Roberts for his his time while Bielsa's been here and how he's he's not kicked on and injuries held him back. But you could say exactly the same about Jamie Shackleton, who is pretty much the same age and is miles behind Tyler Roberts at the moment in terms of appearances and contributions to the first team in the in the Premier League, and you never hear a word about him taking up room that should be given to, to somebody else. And he's probably in a more pressing position because where Roberts plays, we have Rodrigo, we have a £30 million signing in that position. Where Jamie Shackleton plays, we've got Click and Stuart Dallas, who are both kind of, that's where we're looking at Rodrigo de Paul and we were looking at Michael Cuisance before. So fucking... Bomb Shack. I love Jamie Shackleton. <laughs> I don't want. I don't want him to go anyway. But, but I do wonder why there's there's never a, a mention of the fact that Jamie Shackleton is not kicked on at it's all. It's that um, it's that bias towards homegrown players where we're prepared to give them sort of infinite patience until somebody decides they're not good enough and they get sold. Versus somebody who's been brought in for four million quid, who was essentially quite an expensive youth signing when you look at it, but. In the context of the championship, he wasn't, was he? He looked like a bit of an extravagance. A dirty point. Midlands foreigner. Something like that, yeah. And then his, his leg got infected in an operation. He effectively lost two years of development to a, a fucking mucky surgeon. So <laughs> he's, he's had a few... Uh, and Hi, Shackleton, I'm Dr. Nick. And Shackleton's had bad, the bad luck with injuries as well. I just think it's um, it's strange sometimes how you know Roberts can't get through even 45 minutes of a match without it being a referendum on his career at Leeds while Shackleton just sits quietly on the bench in the, in the stands and never gets a, a word. You mentioned um, Costa there, Michael. Jay singles out Costa for uh, for some criticism. I think you missed the fact that Costa became as much use as a Costa coffee chocolate teapot again in this game uh, and just keeps losing the ball when we are trying to build momentum and so on and so forth and doesn't run at players. Contrast that with Mike's excitement at Pervader. Says he's exciting. Uh, does he bring something new that Costa doesn't offer? And then Jerry does like Ian Pervader and points out that he was allowed to stay up late on a school night. And he said, when that lad gets to puberty, how good will he be? He was very good with Pervader. And he's asked to do a different job, though, isn't he, than Costa, I think. when He tends to be, he seems to have more freedom to just, he seems to be sent on with a, just, just try and beat some men, do some crosses, do some attacking stuff. Whereas, Costa, for all that he can be frustrating, he does work. He's not one of these wingers who you would you would like look at stood on the halfway line and think, well, help your fullback out or whatever. He does always do his tracking stuff. And, and Liverpool have got really good fullbacks is the other thing that we can't overlook. Arguably the two best fullbacks in the league. 
Maybe Costa wore him down and I then Pervader came on and was able to exploit that a little bit. If you want to throw a blanket over all of them when it comes to Costa, Roberts and Pervader, the trick is not necessarily to concentrate just on the good bits, but is to get it more consistent, isn't it? So there are going to be good bits, there are going to be bad bits, but it's about doing the good bits more often. And that's the challenge for Pervader. It's all fine and well coming on for 15 minutes if you look good there. But then if you start a game, are you going to drift in and out of it? And Costa has improved recently. I think around... Christmas time probably we were all thinking it looks like it's more or less the end of his career here he was not being used when we could avoid it and it seemed like Rafinha was so much better than him and then he he's coming to the team and he's actually done some fairly decent stuff in recent weeks so I don't know I, I feel like he's probably got another year he's earned another year in the last few weeks there was at least one crossfield pass from Helder Costa that he drilled across to Jackie that was um or actually no it was uh oh yes <laughs> It was, in fact, it involved um, all our least favourite players. Tyler, there was a mad bit of play at the back, and Tyler Roberts played a good pass wide to um, Helder Costa, who then drilled it across the pitch to Jackie, who then put that cross across that was nearly put in for an own goal. And that was good. Perveda, I love everything he does, even down to when he did the the video about JD Sports being open again, and they have him holding a shirt, and he just says, JD Sports is open. Cheers, Ian. I'll be straight there. But I did notice um, after he came on, he was tracking back with um, it's Robertson on that side, I think, and kind of got back to the penalty area. And then there was kind of a something about him just kind of went, I've come back here, but I don't actually know what to do. Can I just go back <laughs> up there again, please? And um, and that's definitely a side he needs to work on. Whereas I think Helder Costa, you never really notice a winger good defensively because a lot of the time he's just, and what, uh, Pervader maybe hasn't cracked is you just need to have the presence just be there and block something from happening and be around and make sure there's something they can't do and that doesn't necessarily it's not something you can spot very easily you can spot when Pervader's not doing it and he's kind of clearly standing in the wrong place but you can't sort of give a um, a lot of praise to Helder Costa to say well you stood you stood in a very good place well done but he does do it to an extent and yeah he's 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 fine there's a level with him and, and Roberts and that kind of thing and Shackleton, where if any of them play, I think they're going to be fine. And if any of them were sold in summer, I'd probably be just about all right with that as well. Because you'd be hoping we get a better player. That's the thing. If and, there's a better player come to, comes in and turns up, then fuck a the lot of them because that's football. <laughs> and you and you would. the point is now we've built up a level of trust in Orta and the direction of the club that you'd think that the replacement would be at least uh, more than adequate. We're... Uh, Lawrence Dubok hopefully will not be coming back for that left-back berth that we're so desperate to fill. One of the common threads that comes through every week is about the refereeing. Uh, Josh, John, Philip and Sarah all all flagged it up. It's probably not even worth visiting, is it? The the bias towards the, the so-called big six, as it were, or the perceived bias, sorry, the perceived bias. Um, and another one of the common threads that always gets sent through is about the defence. And Urente and Strauk uh, both got picked out for... Uh, for good performances, and I think there was a lot of love for um, Urente's, well, the mad shit that he gets up to. And to circle back to where we started, which was Moscow being right, Ben H asks, given that we are now scoring rather than conceding from corners, was Moscow right the whole time? I'll let you two discuss that. Obviously not my place. No. We were quite fortunate with that, um, a couple of headers in the first half, weren't we? Was it the first half? I know Liverpool certainly had one one good header, and then there was... um, Ilian had his little uh, run around, his Silvestri moment, running back and forth, but he dealt with it. And he did one of the other things that got lost amid all the Super League stuff was um, Llorente dedicating that goal to his grandfather who died a couple of months ago. So that was uh, that would have been nice, but obviously that's something else that Fenway Sports Group wanted to stamp out of the sport is, uh, is Diego Llorente's happiness. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Moving on now then to what they have been saying about Leeds United. We expected some bizarre scouse entitlement, such a special club, but... Just sadness. That's all we had this week. Depressing. And not the sort of not the sort of sadness you can laugh at either. Genuine sadness. Just a, a disregard for the game and a, a real sense that what's the point of all of this? The first clip from uh, Redman talking about our goal, I think kind of sums up everything that's gone on over the last two days. There's loads of us. Who, I mean, look again. Look at the man, look at FC United of Manchester. There was the golden green brigade that you know with all the Harry Potter scarves, which I'm laughing at now. But ah, oh, they've equalised. Leeds have scored with a header from the corner, and it is Leeds one, Liverpool one. Um, the they had the protests. They threw loads and threw the season tickets onto the pitch. Barely a flicker of <laughs> acknowledgement. Ah, oh, well. Anfield agenda, exactly the same as well. This is the you've probably seen this guy. He occasionally gets clipped up and put on Twitter because he's kind of a quite an animated Irish fella who watches the Liverpool games in a, a Goldbridge style virtual studio. But he was much the same with the goal. Corner to Leeds, right hand side. Signals given. Four minutes left. Ball into the box. It's one one. It's in the back of the net, and Leeds have scored. Lorente with the goal. One one. Probably no less than Leeds' effort deserved. Poor lad. I almost feel sorry for him. <laughs> It was quite uh, funny after it all started falling apart, the Super League. Somebody tweeted about how that goal actually now is quite a big deal because it makes um, Champions League qualification more more difficult for them. Oh, fuck, it matters. <laughs> it matters now. They'd, they'd have to go back and be furious about it and be uh, throwing every toy they have out of the pram. That's what but, we should uh, be listening to. We should be listening to how, how angry he is that he's not been picked up and how they need to spend another £100 million on a defender and... It's not fair, and Virgil van Dijk, and it was never punished, wasn't Pickford, and he should have gone into all of that. But instead, we just get a they've scored. Yeah, I mean that Redmen one is extraordinary. Where it's just the goal is an interruption to a wider point he's making about support of protest and support of power and stopping the the Super League, and um, says a lot that one. I think. I mean, the Anfield rap was the origin of the such a special club thing, and it comes from our visit to the to the FSA Awards, where the guy who uh, who runs that thing. Couple of shandies in, I think it's fair to say. Got up on stage and made a prolonged speech about everybody, how everybody needed to be more Liverpool, wasn't it? Along those lines, and which now, uh, with the you know, with the aid of hindsight, now seems hilarious. And he'd already was that before or after the Man United lot had been on stage saying everybody needed to be more Manchester. No, they went up, up afterwards and right. sat, and they started taking the piss out of him. Yeah, yeah. That was an interesting evening, wasn't it? Yeah, it was that fun. was great listening. I wasn't at all bored. <laughs> the, the tension in that room, right? Um, so the Anfield rap. Didn't like the protests. They were they were a little bit more scouse about it, which was good. A, a little bit more angry and and cross with Leeds United, which was it was something. I think I was I was desperately searching for a bit of this, and they they did give us a, a shred of it. But then then some reasonable woman starts talking at the end, and it ruins it. Such a special clip. And this one shouldn't have felt felt a clap store. And all he can do is say it's nothing to do with me. It's nothing to do with the players. And I. I, I felt a bit sorry for them. I just thought, you know, this is shit. I mean, you see Milner say, and he's against it, but he also said, I don't think we deserve the stick we got when we come into the ground. Yeah, unjust, because they're getting booed, there's banners, there's, there's you know, it, it's like they're villains. And, you know, people are putting stuff up, like, you know, Gary Neville saying, Leeds v Greeds, or, or something like that. And this is what pisses me off about it. It's not Because it's not Liverpool. Football club, as in the players, the manager, us, the city... It's the fucking owner, so they're the ones that they're the ones where that you know any anger should be trained for me. Well, you, what you've got to remember is you you just said there and part of that nobody's in a football ground, no one's got any way to express this mm. anger, and what the t-shirts, the stuff outside, like this is it's at its height at the minute, and it's all a bit much. Like it's been a lot for us today, talking about it constantly, uh, trying to get your head around it. And everyone's feeling a lot of things because there's just this statement that's come out, stuff that's come from the clubs, and then nothing. 
I'm glad our second speaker was there to put him straight because especially given what has happened since with the climb down and it all falling apart and the uh, the hilarious apology that John Henry has, has tried giving in what looks like a, a 1980s talk, talk show studio. I think he, he borrowed it from Jerry Springer and has to sit there and say, I'm, I'm sorry about everything. Would he rather we didn't bother? Would you rather Liverpool had just rolled up in their, their bus and just nobody outside the ground saying a word? They had fans protesting outside their own ground who made their own banners and attached them to fucking Anfield. Shankly's grandson saying, take the statue down. Nothing to do with these people who own it. And it's been shown, protest works. A bit of gratitude wouldn't have gone amiss there. <laughs> exactly. So thank, thank you, Leeds fans, for turning up and, and pointing out how shit this was and drawing attention to it because it's not our fight, essentially. I know Chelsea fans mm. were out in force yesterday. And Leeds fans, while we are massively against this, it's not our club involved. But thank you, Leeds fans, for doing that. Very good of you. I mean, and we we laboured the point on uh, the match ball, so we don't need to go into it again, but the difference between Milner and Klopp and the fact that it wasn't personal and we know full well that, you know, Divock Origi has not forced the uh, institution of Liverpool Football Club into a European Super League, but who else was available? And, you know, it's the Fenway bus is there. They're all being paid by by Fenway Sports Group. They're all riding on that. So what else, who else could we have protested in the area of and what else could we have done and would it have been preferable if, as I say, Ellen Road had just greeted them all in and said, now to do with us, we don't care. It's a Liverpool problem. Thank you for coming, kind sirs, for gracing us with your, your Super League presence. We're so honoured to have you here. That apology video, no, I can't just lay my hands on the tweet at the minute, so I will have to credit you in retrospect, but somebody tweeted us today saying, do you think they put flowers in the background just to try and make him look more human when Henry did that uh, that apology video? The final clip I got from Red Men TV, was, it's not game reaction, but it's just the general tone from the from the day and how Liverpool fans, and I think a lot of football fans were feeling, this guy just captures it quite nicely. I think he sounds even more miserable than me. Not something that I want to see, to be, to be quite frank with everybody. I think it's absolutely disgraceful what's been done and I'm looking at both sides of the argument and looking at UEFA and looking at FIFA and think they're just as bad and they're just as complicit in this as anybody but you know I'm shocked and appalled that Liverpool are at the forefront of these conversations and the fans have not been consulted along the way because you are fundamentally changing <coughs> the competition elements of of what we of the sport that we love and it's not right at all and I I could honestly sit here and get so wound up and so angry about stuff because I am because I'm absolutely furious right now and I think it's absolutely disgraceful and everybody's got their own moral compass and for me I'm getting close to that line where this shit's not for me that's an unhappy scouser so this shit's not for me is about right though isn't it that's kind of a I think that's where a lot of people got to with it. It's like, I'm not going to watch that. If they're going to do this separate competition, I'll just probably not not bother with it. We've revisited a few others as well. A few other, we call them friends that we've found through the season. Just yeah. to- well, we're all football friends now. We've discovered that, haven't we, over uh, over this last 72 hours, that we're all, all on the same team. We kind of are, in a weird way. I mean, Arsenal Fan TV is the one we'll go to first because they've been, in many ways, they're, they're kind of at the height of the ridiculousness of football YouTube, aren't they? And the reactions to everything from a, a bad refereeing decision to not signing a player, it is all completely off the scale there. And then I put them on to listen to what they were saying about this and I found only reasonable opinions. It was really strange. What about West Ham, who are having a great season this year, who could get into the Champions League? What about Leicester, who may, you know got to the FA Cup final today, are, are battling it out in the top four in an extremely well-run club? What about clubs like Everton? Uh, investing loads of money into new stadiums and stuff like that to try and compete with the big boys. What about Newcastle? These huge clubs. Leeds United, I just saw somebody in, in the chat there. What about Leeds? What about every single club in the Premier League? You know, what about them? How, what gives these guys the right, you know, your John Henry's at Liverpool, your Stan Kroenke's at Arsenal, your... Florentino Perez at Real Madrid. What gives them the right to say, oh, we're doing this for football? You're not doing it for football. You're doing it for your own pocket. And they've been trying to get all these concessions from UEFA, plus the fact that they've been trying to earn more money. They haven't got that. And now they're just starting out on their own. This is a disgrace. This is an absolute disgrace right now. 
Robbie suggesting that the meritocracy works in football. Good on him. He does throw it back to part of UEFA's problem in all this and the, the clubs up to this point, because when he talks about um, the teams winning the FA Cup and teams finishing second and third, that's why we used to have European Cup Winners' Cup and we used to have the UEFA Cup for as was for the second and third place teams and the Champions League. The European Cup was purely for the champions and it kind of, when you listen to what Robbie's saying then, you go, well, that kind of worked very well. Everybody had their their place. You can hear in what he's saying the kind of the the story of the mess that got us to this point where everyone is, is trying to say, well, we won it last year, but we're only third this year. We still come in because we, we need that money. And the Premier League are complicit in the beast that's being created. UEFA are complicit in the beast that's being created. So they shouldn't be that surprised that this was the outcome from it. And maybe they're not. Maybe they're not. I was quite impressed with Arsenal fans anyway, because they, I mean, Arsenal are terrible, is the the thing to remember. And they are essentially being offered a buy into a competition they have no right to be in. And they were still unhappy with it. So I guess fair play to them for that, because it would have been easy for them to go, well, we do, we do sort of deserve it if you think about it, don't we? Because we once had Thierry Henry and Sol Campbell and they were both good. So can we go in anyway? But actually, they were being very fair. And it's no different to the potential jeopardy we were offered last year. Would we want points per game to get promoted, to get back in the Premier League? No, we roundly rejected it because when it comes down to it, when push comes to shove, we all appreciate that you've got to do it via merit. Even I rejected it. I mean, even I was doing it through tears. I was, <laughs> I was saying, I suppose we should play the games. <laughs> so this clip then comes from a guy called Turkish. Another sensible opinion? Amazingly so a place to compete for top clubs and top players. We're <laughs> 10th or 9th or 11th. Where are we? How fucking rude of them. It's a mm. slap in the face to all of us fans. A place to compete with top clubs and top players. We don't deserve to be in the Champions League. That's where top clubs are. That's where top players are. What are they on about? This one is literally there for all of us to see. This can't be spun into any good PR. Rob, James, this is literally there for us to see. This is all about no threat of relegation and the chance to make money playing the biggest teams in Europe. Week in, week out. Like I said to you earlier, Rob, we can't even compete with clubs in England. We slowly dropped off the big six. Now teams like West Ham, Everton and Leicester ahead of us this season. But we sign a deal to compete with the PSGs, Barcelona's, Real Madrid's, Juventus's, with Stan Kroenke as one of the vice chairmen. We're done. I can't remember where I heard it, but somebody did speculate. And in retrospect, it sounded very possible that the reason Arsenal and Spurs are in there is not because they're usually prestigious clubs who deserve to be at the, the pinnacle of, of top European Super League competition. It's because Barcelona and Real Madrid needed teams to beat. <laughs> <laughs> and so you put them in and it did make me think like they were talking about it perfectly seriously. It's like, yeah, we think that's why they're involved is because, you know, Spurs have the new stadium and all that, but they you know, they'll lose they're, and they'll have some whipping boys. And it did. That's one of the, the areas where it's so obvious that this wouldn't work because what was the future for Arsenal in finishing bottom five of a closed European league every season? And um, Rory Smith at the New York Times wrote about this a few months ago about, he, he did it after the Leeds-Newcastle match where we played up there, about how when teams don't win, they need something else. When they're not winning trophies, and it's the perennial thing in trophy, and the thing that would have been true of this Super League, 15 founders, 20 teams in total, only one of them can win every year. So what happens to the other 15? What happens to the one that finishes last every year? And, and we kind of face that now with City and Liverpool's dominance over the last few years. And where uh, Leeds are going to finish mid-table, and Rory's point was, but the fans are absolutely delighted with it because they like the football they're watching. They believe in the sort of things the club says it stands for. There's something else apart from the football that means if you don't have a trophy at the end of it, you still felt like you had something. And that's what Newcastle don't have. And it's what I don't think Arsenal would have in a competition like this because they would have just given away all the history they've ever had that Herbert Chapman built for them in the first place no relation former lead city manager in return for for being bottom half in a league with with no other reason to be 
And then what? Yeah. And it goes back to what we've said before about when we spoke to Angus Kinnear. And I believe this was a conversation we had off air, wasn't it? That actually fans don't necessarily need success. You need something to believe in. That's all. You need something to get behind. And you look at what Newcastle, where they are, they don't have something to get behind. So they're unhappy. Right now, we have something to get behind because the people in charge of us are making the right noises and are demonstrating the right things. You don't even need all that much to get behind sometimes, do you? It's like after our disastrous title defence, the fact we had a really good youth team and we were beating scum in a youth cup, it was like, well, that's something to look forward to yeah, next year. It's the year. future, isn't it? Like, as it turned out, none of those players went on to be superstars, but for a bit, we had a belief that they might, and that was enough to actually keep you going on it. Whereas, like you say, Arsenal being the Burnley of, of the European Super League, what fun is that? Yeah, and that's the that's the next part that they never thought about when they conceived this bullshit idea. And also the part that in 10 years' time when they go, well, Arsenal are always shit, aren't they? Should we just not bother playing them? Yeah, why, don't we, why don't we make it a 10-team league? Yeah. Or why don't, why don't we say, oh, we'll change the constitution? What are our articles of association? Does it say Arsenal have to be in here because they're dragging the whole thing down? Oh, look, Leeds have built a new stadium now and they're doing really, really well. Isn't there a case for them being in this now? The Saudi money's arrived at Newcastle. Get them in it. They can spend. They can join our billion pounds club. Or maybe Arsenal would be more successful if they were in Australia. <laughs> yeah. So move them there. I mean, go to Spurs next because I think because they were the other team that were in there as a joke, more or less. Because why? Joke why, with a big stadium. Why would they be in there? They've, cheese room. They got a cheese room. I did, they never even built the cheese room. Did they? They're not, maybe they've. All right, then they've no business. Maybe it was on the proposal. But it was. They, it was tweeted as actually. See, this is what you fucking get when you uh, when you have a cheese room in your stadium, and it's absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, my love for cheese doesn't surpass my love for football, so I'm happy to forego the cheese room in the new West Stand, which I'd never used. You can, nor, have, you can have cheese at home as well, can't you? That's true. Yeah, I mean, supermarkets sell it. Yeah, it's fine. So you can get some there. Yeah, just get it there. But th- this is a guy called George Achillea, who is a kind of a Spurs YouTuber, but he's, again, very fair on the whole thing and seems bemused that Spurs are there. This is just killing the game. I'm fed up of this. Their idea of creating this, um, oh, elite football that you'll see every single season. I'm not being funny. The reason it is elite is because Spurs might only play Real Madrid once every five years, if we're lucky. Even the top teams that are in the Champions League every single year there's an excitement around the fact that they might not necessarily play each other. And, oh my God, this is the year Barcelona drew Real Madrid in the semi-finals. That's what creates the excitement around the game. I'm not being funny. I don't care what players are there. I don't care what club it is. If you are playing Real Madrid every year, AC Milan every single year, twice a season, and then maybe again in the knockouts, the excitement is dead. It is finished. There is no underdog story coming through there. It's a disgrace. Hard to disagree with him. (laughs) Much of which made me think, and this is probably the easiest way to distill my ideas on this, is go and read me match report from the Liverpool game because I I put it all in there. But trying to work out how Spurs against Arsenal on a Wednesday night in the Champions League is worth X, but Spurs against Arsenal on a Wednesday night in a European Super League is worth X multiplied by billions. I did wonder if our natural focus as football fans is on the game, the match, what the match means. But when you're talking about broadcast deals expanded to that extent and um, what I think we'll talk about a bit in the the main pod, Agnelli and uh, Perez talking about TikTok generation and Gen Z and and kids that have been talking about emulating Call of Duty and all this kind of stuff this morning, that there were other television components involved that it wouldn't just be the match. Somebody pointed out as well that the the timings of the matches midweek on a Wednesday, it's actually very inconvenient for the... China, America, how do they watch it? Yeah, it doesn't fit with their their schedules at all. So you have to put on a different programme. Is it, you know, it's a Zlatan Ibrahimovic lifestyle show. Agnelli has talked about Juventus when they did the new badge. It's it's going to be a pop kind of lifestyle brand instead of just a football club. So we've had the Amazon documentary at least. Is that an always-on, behind-the-scenes reality TV series that goes on beyond the games. Other players mic'd up so you can, they're talking about enhanced technologies that they could use in in, in this league that UEFA don't want them to, to innovate with. Was this David Hocker day with lasers shooting out of his eyes? Is that what, when he said he was going to get us in the Champions League, was that what he was on about? But there was, it did make me wonder if their expectations about where the kind of the, the, the direction of this was going to be was not necessarily into playing Chelsea. It's 
you know, it's search for a star competition. How do they get players for this league if it's cut off from um, existing structures the way that it was threatened to be? Is it they have their own kind of um, search for a star competitions? It's X Factor and you get involved in the story of youth players and you grow up with them and then the, the plot line becomes something more like wrestling where it's the new Neymar is moving from Barcelona to Juventus and that's the huge story in the European Super League not that one team beat the other one 1-0 one but that you know you watch his entourage having all the big it's the debates. Kardashians isn't it exactly the, yeah. people, the people who seem to be in favour of this from judging by a very limited pool of people I looked at on Twitter the people who like it all have got Mbappe, Messi, Ronaldo or Haaland as their picture Pogba maybe Pogba yeah occasionally Pogba they all claim to support more than one team they pretty much are all not based in the UK and they all seem to be complete fuckwits. Yeah, there is that. The fuckwit element was very prominent. <laughs> what does SZN mean? Does that short season, for season? Yeah. Season. Season. Because they right in seasons. <laughs> there's a lot of that going on. It takes it, forever, what, doesn't it? right season. Why would you put it in your Twitter handle? Just explain this to a man who doesn't... You know, I know, this, again, we're going old man shouts at I'll, re- I'll refer you to the fuckwits part. Is that I it? Think, I think that's why. A season of what, though? Honestly, I'm not engaging with it. It's too much for me. Hey, hipsters, if you're in Gen Z and you can explain to us what season means, uh, please tweet at the square. Oh, fuck it, I don't care. Um, right, what else have we got? Uh, Man City, uh, the opposite end of the scale. We've got Man City Fan TV. This is the guy we only heard a very short clip of the other week because he, he was a bit too mank and gruff, but we've, we've gone back to him here. I'm sorry, legacy fans. Me, you, Chris, and anyone else who's been to the Etihad main road, we're legacy fans now, chaps. We're the past. So I know they want the FIFA generation, no offence, but they want the youngsters in now. If you go back on the channel three months ago, Andy went, the club see you as a customer and I got quite upset. and went, no, they don't, no, they don't, no, they don't. Well, God, have I got egg on my face today? Because, uh, yeah, that's exactly what I am. I'm a customer and my 38 years mean sod all to this football club. I did something today I've never done. I've not been to a game in God knows how long. I got offered a final ticket for Sunday and I told the club where to shove it. To not even be spoken to or anything, it was just done. And it had to be done this way. I've never, ever said a bad word about Caldoun or Shane Mansour. I'm struggling to find a positive because those two will have signed up on this, signed off on this, no doubt. Again, I find myself nodding along to it and annoyed that we've found this sense of common purpose because... Surely the point is petty rivalries. Mind you, the accent was difficult again. I, I did see Moscow raising his eyebrows as well when he, it was suggested that man's 38 years old. <laughs> Thinking, oh my God. Because, I mean, if he is 38 years old, he's younger than me and he doesn't sound it. Yeah, I think he's 38 years watching Man City and I presume he attended he his first game when he was in his 40s. <laughs> I was, I was, uh, Smoking John Player yeah, special I, I ever since. 38 of those a day. <laughs> Never mind 38 years. There is an interesting thing about this younger generation part that um, I know Agnelli's pushing and all that but I don't think it's as as prevalent it does it does always end up football fans get to the point somebody made it very simple and yeah we'll distill it down for, for time young people grow up yep. and their tastes change and the things they want change and a lot of those kind of irritating 15 year olds on Twitter with seasoning their, their profiles will grow up and they'll probably they'll want some different stuff and what they might want then is the authenticity of uh, the Champions League and that's one thing as well that the younger generation to be general about authenticity is not irrelevant to uh there's kind of this there are competing camps and you don't uh, and it's so splintered as well the, the the landscape now where you can have so much easy access to so many different things the idea that there is a monolithic young football supporter who only wants one thing and it's mbappe is it wasn't even in this um, unless he moved clubs is not true there will be some who want that there's other people who like more authentic things like different experiences there are lots of young people at Ellen Road who look to really enjoy it yes let's not overlook that I think the but the uh I think where the Super League people can't get their minds out of is the idea that there should be anybody who doesn't want what they offer it has to be them or nothing and that's just not the way of the world well it's been strange as this episode it's all oh, this kind of this wholesome agreement this unity this 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 togetherness it's been a little bit jarring in the face of what we're used to from online uh, media and, and fan reactions and stuff. So let's not completely disappoint everybody and let's finish with a blistering fuckwit. 
Yeah, this is Rory Jennings, who in, in fairness doesn't say anything actually wrong. His delivery is a bit weird, and he's the guy who was spent a very big part of the season seeming to just talk about Bielsa all the time. It was very confusing. I'm not he's, quite sure why he was doing he it. He just wants to hoover up attention, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, and that's the thing. He's, he's motivated by attention. Whereas everyone else sounded kind of passionate and upset. He does. This is a bit Year 11 drama project. Self-interest, cynicism, opportunism, arrogance, and greed. They are the five motivations behind creating this European Super League. And the fact that Roman Abramovich and Chelsea are involved is a disgrace and a shameful, shameful night for Chelsea fans. Self-interest, cynicism, opportunism, arrogance, greed are all the reasons for starting a, a YouTube channel. Yeah, thanks for that, Rory. And uh, we look forward to launching our own YouTube channel in the not-too-distant future. Well, that wraps up propaganda for this week. I'm sure, given that we're playing Manchester United in the uh, in the next week, there will be a return to something approaching what you expect from this show. Yeah, I, mean, I did find clips from Stratford Paddock and Webby and O'Neill is the other one that's, that seems to be a big Man U one. But, I mean, we've, we've heard enough Mank already and... Because we can get back to just hating each other in a more regular way next week. We'll save them for that. You can take legacy fans too far, can't you? Yeah, we only want the certain types of legacy fans, the ones that we approve of. Right, look out for the main show as well, where we'll pick uh, pick over the bones of this a little bit more and ask what happens next. We've got our eyes on you. We'll see you in a bit. The Square Ball Podcast. 